identified as essential workers. This is a thing now, folks. It's been a thing for over two months now. And why should that change anytime soon? It ain't changing anytime soon. And this is what we do here. And of course, will it magically disappear the COVID-19 virus? No, of course it's not. This is for us to understand that if we are supposed to be a community, we're supposed to act like one. You know, we need to take the word community and use it as a verb. And the thing is, is that this is a morale booster for all of us to understand that all of the individuals out there who are putting their health, and let's be real about this, they're putting their health on the line for doing the things that pretty much maintains normalcy during this age of social distancing okay so 7 p.m we go out to our windows to clap for all those individuals who are identified as essential workers okay with all that said stay tuned for the wbai evening news here we go good evening in the news tonight china's top medical advisor warns of a second wave of coronavirus infections in his country. Social distancing scoff laws continue to make headlines for all the wrong reasons. The growing economic crisis hits home at CUNY as 1,000 part-time faculty face layoffs amid looming state budget deficits. In New York, I'm John Tarleton, editor-in-chief of The Independent, and this is the WBAI Evening News for Monday, May 18th, 2020. There are now more than 4.7 million confirmed infections and more than 316,000 confirmed deaths worldwide due to COVID-19. In the United States, the death toll is approaching 90,000. In China, the country's top medical advisor is warning that his nation could face a second wave of infections from the novel coronavirus. Zhang Nanshan told CNN that China is facing new clusters of COVID-19 after months of lockdowns and travel restrictions. Zhang said that the Chinese people have not gained immunity to the disease and that a perfect vaccine could be years away. The global pandemic began in China late last year after an initially slow response from authorities saw COVID-19 explode in the city of Wuhan. China's central government took draconian measures to rein in the virus with apparent success that now appears to have been short-lived. In Germany, Protests erupted again this weekend against lockdown measures taken by Chancellor Angela Merkel. Merkel had already moved to gradually reopen schools, shops, and restaurants, as well as the country's top professional soccer league, which now plays in empty stadiums. Nonetheless, more than 5,000 protesters took to the streets of Stuttgart. Thousands also protested in Munich and Berlin where more than 300 people were arrested in a scene similar to last week when protesters took over a, a plaza in downtown Berlin. Many anti-lockdown protesters espoused conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxer positions. Some waved signs that drew on anti-Semitic tropes, such as blaming billionaire financier George Soros for the pandemic. Germany has seen just over 8,000 COVID-19 deaths, far lower than its European neighbors, France, Italy, Spain, and Great Britain, each of which has seen more than 25 deaths due to the virus. 
here in the U.S., dozens of states continue to move forward with reopening their economies, including Texas, which saw its highest one-day number of confirmed COVID-19 cases on Saturday. Social distancing scoff laws continue to garner headlines for actions that defy common sense. In Butte County, California, authorities announced that a man who attended a Mother's Day service at Palermo Bible Family Church has tested positive for COVID-19, and they are now trying to contact all 180 people who were present in the building that day. The church service was held in violation of California laws against public gatherings due to the pandemic. Meanwhile, in Kingston, New York, in the heart of the Hudson Valley, the New York Times reports a barber who cut corners and gave haircuts from his home has contracted COVID-19. Many of Joseph LaLima's clients were police and firefighters. Public health officials are now trying to track down everyone who came into contact with LaLima in order to prevent a local outbreak. Local authorities say LaLima could face criminal prosecution. And here in the city, widely circulated photos on social media this weekend showed crowds of people along 2nd Avenue in the Upper East Side. The revelers were customers of bars who ordered for carryout and then stuck around outside with friends. Mayor Bill de Blasio has vowed to put a halt to this practice. De Blasio also announced at his Sunday press conference that city beaches would be open on the Memorial Day weekend, but there would be no large group gatherings, sports games, or swimming. The pandemic has not only produced a health crisis, but an economic crisis with more than 36 million people losing their jobs since the beginning of March. On Friday, the House of Representatives passed a $3 trillion stimulus package. The measure would provide $1 trillion in relief to state and local governments, enhanced unemployment payments, and money to bail out the Postal Service. President Trump and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell have said they would not take up the measure. The bill was also opposed by 14 Democrats, led by House Progressive Caucus co-chair Pramila Jayapal, who is pushing for a provision that would guarantee the paychecks of all unemployed workers. State and local governments are reeling due to the loss of revenue caused by the crisis. In California, multiple news outlets are reporting that Governor Gavin Newsom will ask state employees to take a 10% pay cut or be subjected to unpaid furloughs. Closer to home, the City University of of New York, or CUNY, has announced it will be laying off 1,000 adjuncts, many of whom teach a full course load across multiple campuses and count on their position for health care coverage. Here's one 30-year adjunct lecturer at LaGuardia Community College describing for The Independent how she learned the news. I've been teaching in CUNY for 30 years, steadily. And I'm one of many adjuncts who have received a one-sentence non-reappointment letter. Dear X, this is to inform you that you will not be reappointed as an adjunct lecturer in the English at LaGuardia Community College for the fall semester, fall 2020 semester. The Professional Staff Congress, the union local that represents 30,000 faculty and professional staff at the City University of New York, held a car caravan protest on Manhattan's Upper East Side earlier this afternoon. The protest came in advance of a CUNY Board of Trustees meeting that began at 4.30. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from Union President Barbara Bowen. We will also hear more from the anonymous adjunct who shared her story with us earlier today. As the pandemic and the economic crisis tear through our society, act Activist victories have been rare, 
But on Friday, environmentalists learned that the New York Department of Environmental Conservation had denied a water quality permit necessary for construction of the Williams Pipeline. The ruling blocks the final 23-mile section of a pipeline that would have carried fracked gas from Pennsylvania through New Jersey and then beneath the New York Harbor and out to the Rockaways. This marks the third time the permit has been denied due to intense public opposition. The people stopped the Williams Pipeline because, you know, over three years we filed tens of thousands of public comments that were, you know, based in science, that highlighted climate science. Um, but we were also very persistent. You know, we had pickets everywhere Governor Cuomo went, um, demonstrations. You know, we created the political will that there was no way that Governor Cuomo and the DEC could have approved this pipeline. So I think that's why we won. That was Lee Zichi of Sane Energy, who will join us in our first segment to talk more about the Williams Pipeline victory and what comes next. And finally, we share the sad news of the passing of legendary community activist and literary agent Francis Golden. Golden, 96, died on Saturday from COVID-19. In the late 1950s and early 60s, Golden played a leading role in the fight to save much of what is now known as the East Village from a Robert Moses urban renewal plan that would have demolished much of the working-class neighborhood. In 1959, she co-founded the Metropolitan Council on Housing, the city's oldest and largest tenants' rights organization. Golden also founded her own literary agency that published works by Mumia Abu-Jamal, Adrian Rich, Dorothy Allison, and Barbara Kingsolver, among others. Golden was also the co-editor of Imagine, Living in the Socialist USA, a 2014 anthology that anticipated the resurgent socialist movement we have seen in recent years. When I interviewed her at the time and asked what she would do with any profits made from the book, she said, I will use them to help free Mumia. We'll have more after this short break. Stand up, all victims of oppression, for the tyrants That was the International as performed by Billy Bragg. You are listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. As the pandemic and the economic crisis tear through our society, activist victories have been rare recently. But on Friday, environmentalists learned that the New York Department of Environmental Conservation had denied a water quality permit necessary for the construction of the Williams Pipeline across New York Harbor and on over to the Rockaways. Joining us tonight to talk about talk about why that was a big deal is Lee Zichi of Sane Energy. 
one of the local groups that led a multi-year campaign against the pipeline and the Oklahoma-based company that was pushing it. Lee, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Well, congratulations on the win uh, on Friday. Can you elaborate a a little bit more on why this is a, a big deal? Yeah, I mean, so Williams has been pushing for this pipeline um, for three years, and obviously it would be a a huge detriment um, to New York Harbor, where they wanted to put this pipeline through, um, but also it would be a huge climate disaster. So by denying this pipeline, you know, it's a huge victory for people who have, you know, grassroots organizations and frontline communities that have fought for this for three years. But I think it really is a turning point in a moment that we're going to look back on and realize, like, this is when New York really got off of frack gas. You know, we've banned fracking, um, but we haven't really been getting off of gas the way we need to. And this is a big moment to to do that, um, because this pipeline would have locked us into decades of frack gas use, which, you know, just, as I said, would have been a disaster for our climate. Mm. And uh, are there any any other pressing local battles at the moment that y'all are turning your attention to? Or, or was that the one? <laughs> that was definitely one of the big ones. Um, but National Grid, you know, which is the corporate utility that would have been buying the Williams Pipeline, you know, they're still pretty, they still want to lock us into a, a gas future. Um, so now that they are not going to get the pipeline, we know that they're actually going to be pushing to expand a liquefied natural gas facility um, that's on Newtown Creek in Greenpoint. And they're to speed up construction of a transmission line that they've been building through North Brooklyn. Um, so it was kind of crazy on Friday. We had this amazing news that the Williams Pipeline um, was defeated. But we that, you know, National Grid had paused construction of this pipeline in North Brooklyn because of the, you know, health crisis right now. Um, but the same day that we got the news that we defeated the Williams Pipeline, we found out National Grid is starting construction again. Um, so that's what we'll be focusing, you know, stopping some of these other frack gas infrastructure projects that National Grid wants to raise our monthly bills, you know, we'd all be paying for it. Right. Now, it, it seems like uh, you sort of play this game of whack-a-mole with uh, with the big corporation. It, it's uh, almost like there's this uh, profit-maximizing system that, uh, uh, you know, it keeps on trying to find uh, ways to maximize its profits. But uh, so real quickly, can you talk about um, any uh, projects or, or progress uh, you and other uh, groups in your coalition uh, are making uh, to try to bring us toward a uh, more of a renewable energy future? Uh, is, I understand that's part of your work, too. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're trying to um, fight to get the other options um, being built. Um, and so National Grid even admitted that we can actually meet a lot of our energy de- um, demands by just reducing use um, and doing things like energy efficiency. Um, and New York State passed a new order recently um, mandating really high energy efficiency. So, you know, we're, we're definitely moving New York State um, closer to doing the right things. We're fighting back against the utilities, raising our bills to, to go in the wrong direction. Um, but we're kind of on this precipice right now where New York is kind of like so close to the edge of like heading down the right path of renewables. Um, but we haven't rejected all the fossil fuels yet. Um, so that's where we're at. We're, we're fighting for that. A lot of groups like DSA and others are fighting for public power um, because we don't want to just have the fossil fuel companies now own renewable energy. You know, we want to do that right there in, in our own communities. Absolutely. All right. We we have to leave here in a second. Is there any uh, website or contact info you want to share before we uh, we have to go? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to join the next big uh, pipeline fight, you can go to no 
NBKPipeline.org to join the fight to stop the North Brooklyn Pipeline. All right. Lee Zicci from Sane Energy, thank you for joining us tonight on the WBAI Evening News. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We'll be back with more after this short break. It's a lit mobile. was from Spirit of the Incas. That was from Spirit of the Incas. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper and website, now in its 20th year of publishing. I'm John Tarleton, the Indies Editor-in-Chief. Real quickly, before we dive into our second segment, I want to remind everyone who is listening from the Brooklyn to the Bronx, Crown Heights to Washington Heights, New York, Newark to Nyack to Comac, Long Island, that WBAI is currently in the middle of its May fund drive. If you are in a position to give, please give what you can. I encourage you to do so and help keep shows like this on the air and many other amazing shows that air on this station. To give, you can call 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI wbai.org and use your credit card. Now, moving to our second segment, state and local governments are reeling due due to the loss of revenues caused by the coronavirus crisis. In California, Governor Gavin Newsom will reportedly ask state employees to take a 10% pay cut or be subject to unpaid furloughs. Closer to home, the City University of New York or CUNY has announced it will be laying off 1,000 adjuncts, many of whom teach a full course load across multiple campuses and count on their position for health care coverage. To talk about this crisis inside the larger crisis we are all facing, we are joined by Barbara Bowen, president of the Professional Staff Congress, the union that represents 30,000 faculty and professional staff at CUNY. Barbara, welcome to the WBAI Evening News. Thank you so much, John. Good to talk to you. Yes, always. Uh, 
Now, during our headlines at the top of the hour, which you may have missed, but we heard a clip from a 30-year adjunct at CUNY who's also a loyal reader of The Independent, and she described receiving a one-sentence letter of non-reappointment that most likely marks the end of her career at CUNY. She has to remain anonymous, but in this uh, clip we'll play here in a second, she describes some of the consequences of losing her job and her health care coverage amid uh, this pandemic. It's terrible. So we listen to the without income, uh, without health coverage, which I rely on. I'm in my 60s. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to afford my medications. Um, we're all up in the air, and I never imagined that this would be the way my 30-year career at CUNY would end. So, um, Barbara, can you describe what the union is doing to help adjuncts who are being laid off and also the scale of what's happening at this time as there are hundreds of others uh, like this person who are in the same leaky boat? Um, That's outrageous what I, I just heard, and I want to find a way to play it to the Board of Trustees. They can't insulate themselves from this pain. Um What's happening at CUNY is completely unnecessary and outrageous. Um, there are the, the state funding for CUNY in this current year's budget was more or less the same as last year, in fact, slightly higher. There's a slight change in the city funding. There was a mid-year uh, cut of $20 million, but the funding in general is staying stable. So at this moment, there is no justification for cuts. And the union's position is that in a pandemic, when the whole federal government's push, and even we hear from Governor Cuomo, the importance of keeping everyone on payroll, CUNY must immediately rescind the layoffs like the one we just heard about. Which, I mean, that is disgusting to treat somebody that way. And CUNY must make no layoffs uh, in, in this budget cycle and in the pandemic. Um, they have until May 29th to send notification of fall appointments for current adjuncts. Some have already received continuing appointments. Uh, some are on three-year appointments that the union has bargained for. But some, like the woman we just heard, have been treated by the university. They have served and held up for how many years did she say? 30 years. 30 years. Like 30 years adjuncts have sustained CUNY while the ground was cut underneath from CUNY, while city and state budgets plummeted, and while students poured in, and what sustained CUNY? Adjunct labor. And then that they turn around and treat her like like dirt is shameful. And the union takes the position, and we are fighting for the position, that it is unacceptable, unnecessary, and it has to stop. There are alternatives. CUNY is doing this before even producing transparency about the budget before even giving a public accounting of how they are spending $237 million in new federal stimulus funding before talking about any of their existing budget reserves or any other possible cuts that could be taken. They just went straight to layoffs of adjuncts. It's unconscionable. Hmm. And can you talk about uh, why CUNY is important at this time when we're in a public health crisis, an economic crisis for people who are thinking, well, there's a lot of budget deficits headed our way. Why not take the acts to an institution like CUNY and other public sector institutions? What, what would be your response? 
Why does CUNY matter at this moment? Uh, I think CUNY matters more than ever before. And actually, if you listen to labor representatives and community representatives from all over the city, I've been on some panels in the mayor's office and other places, they speak immediately about the importance of CUNY in an economic recovery. I mean, I think it's pretty well established that this horrible virus has also exposed what is horribly wrong with so-called normalcy in this country. Um, it's exposed the deep structural racism and inequality, the uh, in unequal labor conditions, unequal pay, unequal access to health care and all kinds of other care, and the racial um, formation of those inequalities. Um, the communities that CUNY serves are exactly the communities that have been hardest hit by COVID-19. They are the essential workers who are out there working in grocery stores or home health aides or driving the subways. That's the families of our CUNY students. Um, they're suffering tremendous losses. And for any kind of recovery to take place, New York has an incredible resource, and that is the largest urban university in the country. CUNY should play and could play a critical role in recovery. There will be thousands of people who want to come back to college or start college to get new skills, to get a degree, uh, people who've lost their jobs, people who need to find new ways to enter the workforce, that is exactly what CUNY does. And what the trustees and the chancellor should be doing right now is calling for an expansion of CUNY, not a contraction. And that's not an unrealistic pie-in-the-sky position. During the Depression, three new CUNY colleges were started, Brooklyn, Queens, and Lehman. Um, in a in a deep depression in the 30s, there is no similar vision coming now from the CUNY administration, and they're missing a critical chance, not just for CUNY, but for the whole city and the whole country to have an engine for renewal and an engine that could do something to work against the horrible inequalities that the coronavirus exposed. Many people knew about them already, but some didn't, and the coronavirus has made them inescapable. Uh, CUNY has a unique role to play in this moment, and for the trustees and the board uh, to be allowing it to be crushed right now, to be rolling out the welcome mat to destruction, uh, it's it's unconscionable. Do you, do you think they're doing this at the behest of Governor Cuomo? You'd have to ask to speak to them, and I, I do uh, seriously say that. You know, Governor Cuomo's budget director is on the board. Um uh, you know, Governor Cuomo uh, is accessible, and I'm sure they can speak to him. I, I don't want to speak for them or why they're doing what they're doing, but there are always alternatives. Um, you know, the, uh, their strong leadership could chart a course that shows exactly why CUNY could be at the center of a renewal. And, it's, you know, it's e even more um, more acute than during other economic downturns because this one has – um, hit so hard on precisely the communities that CUNY re, uh, serves, the, com the communities that, CUNY, that rely on CUNY. That's why CUNY is especially important to any revival and to a revival of the whole city. With a little imagination, the uh, management of CUNY could rethink a spectacular role for CUNY in re reimagining the city. And instead, what they're doing is slash and burn and treating people like the adjunct we heard uh, in a, a shameful way. I mean, when yes. these are the people who allowed CUNY to 
stay open. And that's how they treat people. And they're a university that's supposed to be uh, proponing uh, values for the whole society, a university right. that's supposed to stand for something. It's, it's, uh, it's really shocking. Yes. Well, we'll have to leave it there just for listeners who okay. don't realize it. CUNY encompasses 11 senior colleges, seven community colleges, and multiple uh, graduate uh, colleges and programs, over a quarter of a million students. So this is an enormous uh, institution. And Barbara Bowen, we thank you for joining us tonight to uh, update us on uh, what the union's doing to fight for CUNY. Thank you for your work. Thank you, Barbara. All righty. That, that just about wraps it up for tonight. You can follow the Indy's ongoing coronavirus coverage at independent.org. Also, a, a reminder once again to please give to WBAI right now if you can at, at by calling 516-620-3602 or go to WBAI.org and help make this month's fun drive a huge success. We'll be back the same time next week. Stay safe out there, folks. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was the WBAI Evening News today presented by The Independent. And these are one of the shows uh, that you will get here at WBAI on a regular basis where perspectives that are presented to the listening audience is not usually heard. Um, If you support the the efforts of what uh, the independent is doing and what WBAI is doing in general. Please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org online. You can also text to donate texting WBAI on your smartphone to the number 41444. And for those people who just want to send a check or money order to WBAI, well, you can send it by.